0: Welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future um, panel. We've got an amazingly distinguished uh, list of guests who are all judges for the Writers of the Future. My name is John Goodwin. I'm the president of Galaxy Press. And let me just have them each, starting with Tim Powers, introduce themselves to you. And be sure to speak close into the
1: microphones. I was told. Uh, I'm Tim Powers, and I've been um, a judge for Writers of the Future for, I think, 30 mm-hmm. years, actually. At least. And on my own, I've uh, published, I think, 16 uh, science fiction fantasy novels. Um, I'm Brandon Sanderson. I write
2: primarily epic fantasy and uh, young adult. And uh, I think I'm the the newbie on the panel. I've only been judging for like three years.
3: I'm Robert J. Sawyer. I'm a Hugo and Nebula Award winning science fiction novelist. The ABC TV series Flash Forward was based on my novel of the same name. And I've been judging since 2004, I think. Not nearly as long as this much older-looking fellow next to me.
4: (laughs) But I'm young at heart. Um, (laughs) I'm Kevin J. Anderson. I've written a lot of books, big epic fantasies, big science fiction, lots of Star Wars and X-Files and Dune books, and also a whole lot of short stories, probably 150 short stories. And let's see... I entered the contest, I think, 21 times when I was a new writer until I got disqualified by becoming a professional writer. So I became a judge so that I could attend the
5: workshop, which is what I really wanted to do. I'm Rebecca Mesta. I have uh, about 40 books in print, um, most of them science fiction or fantasy for young adults. Um, such as the Young Jedi Knight series that I wrote with that guy. Um, and I've been a judge for about a dozen years.
6: I'm Larry Niven. I've, it's been 55 years since I sold a short, short story "The Worlds of If. Uh, I have uh, maybe 70 or 80 volumes in print, and uh, Ringworld is coming up on its 50th anniversary. Oh, my goodness. Wow, wow. Yeah.
3: I have a ringworm, almost that old.
7: <laughs> I'm Jody Lynn Nye. I've written 50-some books and about 170 short stories. Uh, I have done book reviews. I've edited. I have taught the Dragon Con Writers Workshop, and some of my victims, I mean students, are right here ah, in the audience.
3: Very good.
7: And I want you to listen up, because I want you to enter this contest.
0: Okay, good. So what we promised was... Um, we're going to discuss uh, tips on story prompts and short fiction. So uh, let's just open up with um, who would like to start this off in on tips on story prompts for short fiction. Probably uh, Jody, since you've just been teaching us the last couple of days, just, mm-hmm. you can kick it off.
7: Okay. As for story prompts, anything can uh, stimulate the, the idea of a great short story. For me, the science news is a great place to begin, and you, you see all uh, my my views on, on reading through the science are, uh, hey, that's cool, hmm, what if that happened? And then what if something went terribly wrong? So the solution to the problem uh, and, and fixing it and bringing it back to where it could be and also speculating on where sci- that particular science can take us in the next 50, 1000 years is, uh, is stimulating to the imagination and it should be stimulating to your readers as well.
0: Okay, thank you. And Brandon.
2: So, the thing about um, writing prompts is, um, I've always found that their most useful um, quality is just to get you writing, right? I've, um, I've rarely needed them. Um, I trained myself uh, to write every day when I was trying to break in. Um, and, you know, many of those days I would be using my own writing prompt or something like this. Um, but the, the whole goal is, that you want to train yourself into a habit of writing consistently. And for some people, that blank page is really intimidating. I know how that feels when I was brand new. And just having something to launch you off into a story um, can help you overcome the intimidation factor of the blank page. Uh, most, Most writers have way more ideas than they can use, and even new writers do, even if they're scared that none of their ideas are good. Um, and so, generating ideas usually isn't hard, but a writing prompt can kind of give you a focus for that. It can start your mind spinning and saying, well, I could see where that could go as a story. And really, anything that gets you writing, anything that gets you started, um, is good in my book. Great.
1: I would add, um, every time I am about to start a book, uh, I look at the blank monitor and I think, okay, you're about to write the first sentence of the book that will occupy you until you are whatever age. And I freeze up. Uh, And so what I tell myself is, no, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do instead is write five sample first sentences. Then we'll delete them and have lunch. Uh, And then when I've done that, I say, okay, now take three of those and make them into paragraphs. Then we'll delete it and have lunch. And when I've done that, I say, okay, now take one of them and expand it till it's like a page and a half then we'll delete it. And when I've done that, when I've got a page and a half written, I tell myself I was lying, this is real. Um, And any that or any similar trick that will actually get a few pages starting, it's like push starting a car. Um, I I find real valuable as a way to at least get the thing moving. No wonder it takes you so long to write a book, you delete it all the time.
4: (laughs) Kevin removed his That's delete started. key a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the um, I spent about the past year putting, collecting all of my published short fiction, 130 stories or something, into four a four volume collection. And each one of those stories, I it, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I wrote a little two paragraph introduction of where this story came from or where I got the idea. Um, Again, that sounded like a good idea until I had 120 of them to write and trying to make them all interesting. (laughs) But when I was was talking about, and this story came from, I started to realize just how many of...
7: Can we tell the people in the next room to be quiet? I I
4: just started to realize how many of my stories came from story prompts that anthology editors gave me. True. They said... Kevin, I need a story about purple unicorns. Can you write one? And I would always say, of course. And then I'd come up with something about purple unicorns or about um, ghosts on a space station or about white lab rats Rats taking over the... the... I wrote a story for an anthology. Actually, there were two volumes of it. Every story in the anthology began with the sentence, there were rats in the souffle again. (laughs) That was the conceit of the anthology. Everybody started with that. So I wrote a story that was like this balls-out action-adventure story about super-intelligent lab rats taking over a space station and the humans had to fight them. Um, But so many of my stories were... This isn't just a a newbie writer exercise. Because when you become a pro, then you have anthology editors... Um, I don't remember if Jody was in this one or not, but there was an anthology called Carmen Miranda's Ghost is Haunting Space Station 5. (laughs) Every story had to take place on a space station three, space station three, Larry knows. And just imagine that you're asked to write a a story about Carmen Miranda's ghost haunting a space station. Well, any professional writer should be able to go, I can come up with something once you've trained yourself.
3: Now, Kevin is exactly right. As you get established, you will be invited into all kinds of theme anthologies, but if you're not at that stage in your career yet, and you obviously aren't if you haven't proed out, as we say, of Writers of the Future, that is if you're still eligible for our contest because you're not yet eligible for SFWA membership, do it the way improvisational comedians do it. Ask somebody for a prompt. Hmm. An improv comedian will stand up and say, okay, give me three words, give me a noun, and you will say, right yeah, you. Yes, a noun, any noun. There are 300,000 of them in the English if you language. If don't know nouns, you shouldn't be in this panel. Some pineapple. And give me a verb. Jump. And give me a place, which is also a noun, by the way. Did you say what? Atlanta. Pineapple jump in Atlanta. Practically You've writes got, itself. You, it practically writes itself. You've got <laughs> something to start with. That's right. You've got something to start with. If you don't have somebody who's going to help you, like an improv comedian, I find... Uh, looking, taking anything at all that we normally consider as only metaphoric and treating it as literal is a great story generator. Isn't that kind of cool? So when you say, I was beside myself with fear, you're literally beside yourself with fear and there's a story. My friend Arthur, uh, Robert Charles Wilson, recently wrote a novel, about uh, We all say we figuratively live in these information silos on, uh, on social media. What if we literally lived in information silos where we only interacted in our day-to-day lives, in physicality? with people who shared our same worldviews as well and got a a great novel out of that. So I recommend that, it works really well. Just ask yourself any old cliche, anything that you only think of as metaphoric. Hearts in the right place. Hearts in the right place, right? And make a story out of it.
1: That's very good, I'm I'm gonna remember that myself. There you are, all Uh right. See that would
7: be a great anthology.
5: Um, This may sound like cheating, but I swear to you it's not. It's, you take some old classic from The Back of Beyond, make an ele- elevator pitch about it, something you read long ago. Um, uh, individuals from two deadly rival groups fall in love with each other and try to make a life for themselves, but something goes wrong. The elevator pitch. story? Yes, oh, send You found me out. Uh, <laughs> What would that look so like who's now? In the guest room or what tonight, would that Kevin? look like in the future? Make your own story about it.
2: You know, along those lines, uh, Mary Robinette Cole just won the Hugo and the Nebula for a book that the generation of which was an anthology that said take a public domain famous short story, take the first line of it and then write something else. She took Wizard of Oz. Um, started, wrote a short story that became a very well-known and well-regarded short story. She then wrote a novel from that and won both the Hugo and the Nebula for it.
0: Yeah. Okay, so then
2: what we got is another
0: like 10, 15 minutes we'll be going over with the, with the judges, but then if you have questions, be sure to... Uh um, the last half, we're going to have Q&A, so you can have, prepare your questions, so you can ask any of the judges um, any questions you've got on the subject of, of writing. i
3: am going to say one more quick story prompt. This is the one Spider Robinson used to use back in the 70s. You can use it today. He used to watch episodes of Six Million Dollar Man and say, there's the germ of a good idea if only a competent writer had done it in this episode, and go and riff on it. And nobody, when you get to the finished product, nobody would recognize the DNA of where the story came from. Mm -hmm. It was, it's just that that frustration. Uh, And there are lots and lots of old science fiction shows or old science fiction magazine stories you can go and look at And if only somebody had done this right, well, here's your opportunity to do it right.
7: And every single writer will do it in a different way. You could give exactly the same story prompt to everyone out here, in fact, everyone out there, and you would have a hundred different stories.
6: This has been tried. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got anthologies out there uh, of stories all written from the same beginning or the same premise.
4: There were rats in the souffle again. (laughs) Exactly.
7: Carmen Miranda's ghost.
6: Or or the Harlan Ellison one. Was it Harlan who who created it? I I don't remember. Uh, Medea. It started with the uh, main (laughs) character going into a suicide booth and committing suicide.
7: That's
3: well, a good okay. start for a story. <laughs> Definitely, it's a start. <laughs> Actually, there's a very good point there too. Rate your pain. I had uh, my mother died uh, three years ago, almost four now. Just uh, from Canada. Just before in Canada, we introduced it assisted physician-assisted suicide as a legal right. Um, and so, her practically her last words were, and I was the one who took off her respirator. Practically her la- last words were now we wait for me to starve to death because there was no way the doctor could aid her over that threshold. Find the things that are keeping you awake at night. The pain in your life, whether it's relationship pain, whether it's family pain, whether it's your own personal injuries, whatever it is, the power in your fiction will come when you stop making a distinction between the private you and the public you and start bearing your bloody, pulsing, wounded heart on the page. That's a very good point. Ah, then your heart's in the right place. Ah, <laughs> then your heart's in the right place, said Kevin J. Anderson. That's why they pay him the big bucks. <laughs> I like
6: to know the ending of a story when I start writing. Uh, it gives me something to shoot for. And even if I change my mind about the ending later, it still reads like I was heading toward, the same, toward a, a, a set goal.
2: So
0: that makes a good point there. in terms of, so Brandon, do you know the end of your story when you start it?
2: So I almost always do. Uh, Once in a while I'll launch into something um, and do the uh, the Neil Gaiman method, uh, which he says is jumping from an airplane with a ball of yarn and trying to knit a parachute before you hit. I've always loved that metaphor. most of the time, I am, I am an outliner by nature. I like really spectacular endings where a lot of different threads weave together. Um, usually, I outline my stories backward and then write them forward.
1: Anybody else? Tim. Uh, yeah, I also outline pretty thoroughly, um, to some extent, to postpone actually getting to work. But... Um, I, I know writers who uh, simply let it go. I uh, have a couple characters in a car, they don't know where they're going or who they are, and they discover it as uh, they have the characters talk. Uh, my problem with this is that by page 80, when you finally do know what the story is about, you'll look back and you'll see that a whole lot of those 80 pages don't happen to have anything to do with what you now see the story is about. Um, and when I have the ending in mind, Uh, I can begin to uh, loop all the threads toward that. Uh, It's like setting off a series of timed explosions. I want them, or like fireworks display, I suppose. I want the most effective culmination and therefore I want to set the fireworks in places with timers ahead of time.
0: Rob, what about yourself?
3: Yeah, I certainly would prefer to know the ending. It is by far the ideal method. If you don't, you don't. But it is way easier, as Larry said, uh, to know what your destination is. And the way I look at the difference between a short story and a novel is a short story is the shortest path between two points, the beginning and the destination. And a novel is the scenic route between two points. You have a much longer journey, but you still have a destination in mind at the outset, when you embarked on that journey. And for lots of short stories, and I don't want to uh, recommend, you know, you come up with just O. Henry twist endings, but for a great many short stories, the final line of the story is really what sells the story. And it doesn't have to be, you know, and it was a dream all along, or it was worth all, it doesn't have to be that. But if you come up with that poetic, resonant, uh, final concluding sentence, and you're working towards it, you'll find that you have a much better uh, process in creating your story.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: Kevin?
4: Yeah, I, I'm, like Brandon, I, I write these big, huge things with 30 main characters and multiple storylines, so you, you can't really just turn them loose and hope that they'll all come together. <laughs> yeah. um, you, I, I like to have it, but I think there's a difference between having a roadmap and actually making the drive across country. And having the roadmap, at least I know where I'm going, but that doesn't mean that I've taken all of the excitement out of discovering new sceneries or a, a new roadside attraction or something interesting. So if I have a detailed outline where it says, Chapter 54, a big naval battle happens and the flagship gets sunk, well, that's just a point on the map. That's nothing like actually going to the Corn Palace in South Dakota. I mean, that's... that's <laughs> When I write that chapter, it might be 20 pages long, with all kinds of action and ships shooting cannons at each other and stuff. So there's a way that's a lot more interesting to take the road trip than just to look at the map. But if you don't have a map, you're not going to get where you're going on the road trip. And that was so full of metaphors, I'd better just stop. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Rebecca, I like the Uh, map.
5: Well, I'm extremely ADD and distractible, so I've never managed to actually complete anything that I did that was seat of the pants, because I, I just go off in all directions and never kind of come back to a destination. So, to me, it's kind of survival to have a um, an outline and to know where I'm going, and. In theory, it could be short, but I like a very complete outline so I know what's going to happen in every chapter or in a short story, um, in every portion of it.
7: They, they say that there are two kinds of writers, plotters and pantsers, and I'm a ploncer. So I like <laughs> I put down as much information about a short story or a novel or a series that I possibly can. But I do have a clear idea of where I want to start out and where I want to end up. But I can enjoy the journey while I'm going there, you know, much as, much as Kevin is, is looking for roadside attractions. And by the way, there's a, an Indian village they're excavating that is far more interesting than the Corn Palace in that wretched little town.
4: Good to know. <laughs> yeah, but it's the only thing for four hours on either side on the interstate. Well, so. half
7: an hour to the north is this extremely interesting archaeological dig. Uh, but the Corn Palace is a joke. <laughs> Yes, it is. And there's very little else in the state uh, from end to end. So you want to have a very interesting idea of where you're going, but be open to inspiration, be open to the things that come up. Uh, When I'm researching a story or a novel and I walk the walk uh, or talk to somebody who lives in that area or come across articles or books about what I am writing, because no matter what it is, no matter what you are writing, you are going to end up doing some kind of research. Even if it's the city you grew up in and people you know, mm-hmm. there's still going to be things you look up. And the wonders of discovery add so much flavor to a story. And it can also change the way you get to that ending. So I, I like to know exactly where I'm going, but how to get there can be several different ways. I, I have. Stories that I could have written in eight eight different ways, and that because it would always conclude pretty much in the same location, it would be a very interesting collection. But still, I would have fun doing it.
0: Got it. So now, the value of short fiction, either as a career or as a stepping stone to a career. I right? because pretty I'm not sure about Larry, but I think everybody else started with short fiction. To oh, well, Larry did well, you, for were sure a too. Sem- yeah. you were you were finalist in five years ago.
2: I had. Um, You've uh, written three. Uh, yeah, but I didn't start as a short story writer. I, I had, before I wrote my first short story, I'd written nine novels. Okay. Um, so, um, so I'll let others speak to the value of short story writing. I s- still think it is valuable, but there is a thing to remember, which is if you ra- read primarily novels and you have not read short fiction, okay. then you're not going to write good short fiction. Yes. Um, I grew up reading novels. I got into short fiction much later in my career, fell in love with it, and started writing some of my own stories. Um, but you know, I read—I I was a child of the, of the 90s. Uh, this yeah. is when epic fantasy was hitting big as a as a novel form um, format. I was reading Robert Jordan, and I was reading Anne McCaffrey and Tad Williams and, and people like this. And so, if you read primarily novels, write primarily novels. If you want to win Writers of the Future, then start reading Writers of the Future. Um, would be my recommendation. I
1: would say um, it was the case up till, God knows, 70s, 80s, that um, the way you broke in was you got a number of short stories published and established a reputation, and then you would write a novel. That seems no longer to be the case. It seems these days that um, people arrive first with novels. I had several novels published before I ever had a short story published. And like Brandon, I find I've been doing more short stories in recent years. Um, I hope this doesn't mean that short stories are um, being phased out, because really they're the core of uh, the science fiction fantasy field. Uh, All of our giants, uh, all of our roots, all of the great towering science fiction fantasy writers um, were at least as uh, important in their short stories as in their novels.
4: Brandon said something really interesting about reading novels and writing novels and stories, And and like what Tim said, it used to be that as a writer, your career trajectory was you wrote a bunch of short stories and learned your craft there, and then maybe you graduated into novels. But I'm a novelist, I mean, I read novels, I write novels, I, I wrote a bunch of short stories because I thought I was supposed to before I tackled a novel. And it was maybe five, six years ago that Mike Resnick, who's also a, a judge in Writers of the Future, and he's won like every single science fiction award ever.
7: Many times. Um, many, many times. Many
4: times. Um, so... Mike and I kind of did this scheme, because he came up and he said, I want to learn how to write stuff that's a bestseller. And I said, I want to learn how to write stuff that wins all these damn awards. And so we did a short story together. I came up with an idea called Prevenge, where if you knew somebody was... like, If the court determined that somebody committed a crime against you, you could go back in time and get your revenge before he did it. (laughs) So we wrote... and, And I said, here's this idea. He loved the idea. And so then I outlined the short story about and it had all kinds of great twists and turns and a great ending, and, and I outlined it, and I said, here, Mike, how, is this the story that we should write? And he said, no, 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 no. You do know that that's not a short story, right? That's a novel that you're going to compress in about 20 pages. <laughs> yep. And then I tried like four different times, and he just says, you don't think like short stories, mm-hmm. do you? That I'm always writing novels that just happen to be short. So there is a difference between them and... You know, the market today, you're probably better off doing novels than short stories, but I do them both because I think they're, they stretch different muscles.
3: They're, they're different art forms, and it's kind of bizarre in our field. Uh, of course, Writers of the Future is a very prestigious prize, and it's only for short fiction. In the Hugos, we have three short fiction Hugos every year, short story, novelette, and novella for increasingly long short fiction, and only one novel award. In the Nebulas, the exact same thing, three awards for sh- short fiction and only one novel award. So if your goal early on is to establish your name, as Mary Robinette Cowell did uh, with uh, um, an award a major award win, uh, you have a better chance as a short fiction writer than you do as a novelist.
7: Now, if you, want a, if you want to win a Dragon Award, there are seven different novel awards within the Dragon Awards. True. That and is no true. Sh- and is- no short fiction award.
3: That is true. Um, and we are at Dragon Con. And we are at Dragon Con, so v- far be it for me to gainsay that. Um,
4: and I won one, and you have it, so...
3: That's true, on the other hand, I've won a Nebula, Kevin, and you yeah, yeah, yeah. haven't. I've already got my honorary doctorate, Kevin, and you haven't. I won my Hugo, Kevin, and you haven't. Not
7: that
3: we haven't become. <clears throat> yes, and on. you know what? I went back in time and altered your genes <laughs> to make you bald for revenge of this shot yes, on the Thank panel.
4: You. I appreciate it.
3: I good, love this. Good job. job. This
4: is my brother. This is my brother. We we actually published our novels in like the very same year back in 87 and got the same point. agent
3: based on being in the same issue of Amazing Stories, right? Richard Curtis back in the day. So in any event, in any event, uh I gave up writing short fiction. It's way more lucrative for me and everybody else on this panel to write a 5,000-word chapter than it is to write a 5,000-word short story. It's just the reality of book publishing versus the short fiction markets. I did one short story in the last decade because Microsoft came offering uh, thousands of dollars for a short story, and I did it. But normally, no, um, it is not something you do for the money. You do it because you love that art form, and once you're established, if you don't love that art form, there's no reason to do it. It is as different as being, you can say you're an actor, but there are movie stars, action hero actors, and there are people who do one man or woman monologues in fringe festivals. They're both actors, but they're completely different art forms. And so is short fiction in the novel, in my estimation.
2: Can I add one caveat to that? Um, uh, that is absolutely correct, though um, e-books and self-publishing have made the novella which yeah. is that halfway step yes. between a yes. short story and a novel into a vial. The thing I've actually written, I so or, the most money per word is a novella. Um, uh, and that's because... Once you can hit that, once you can charge $2.99 for it on Amazon, you hit uh, the better royalty rates. $2.99 to $9.99 is where you want to be on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Anything that's cheaper than that or more expensive than that gets a fraction of the percent of royalty. 50%, half the royalty. Yeah, they get half the royalty. And so once you can hit $2.99 and it's worth someone buying, um, a, a lot of people nowadays will do a novella tied into one of their big series and self publish that. Um, and those can be very, very lucrative. That's true. Um, but short fiction just is not. It doesn't pay terribly well. We do it because we love it.
3: But I will say, by the way, our contest, to bring it back yeah. here, what's our maximum word? 17,000. 17,000. So we, uh, we take short stories, which SFWA and the, and the Hugos define as up to 7,500. And we also take novelettes, which is up to 17,000. 500 in the rules of the Hugos and the Nebulas. So we do, we welcome longer short stories. And it's harder to break into the magazines with a longer short story. An editor wants to fill their magazine with bankable names. And you can break into the magazines more easily with a shorter piece of work. This is one of the venues right here, Writers of the Future, where a longer short story uh, will find a lucrative home. Tell
0: and we've had se- we've had several winners of late who are writing the longer short stories. Darcy, mm-hmm. uh, hers was just under yeah. 17,000. Right. Her her gold uh,
2: award winner uh, two years ago. I was going to ask you that. Um, I would guess, just having the, the pieces that have come across my desk and things, yeah. that writers of the future ske- skews longer than it used to. Definitely, um, it's no longer. Just
1: yeah, the last lot uh, there were a couple of very long. The last lot there were a couple of very long ones that I thought were the be- the best.
7: They were really good stories. Yeah. Right.
5: But they're not the best because they're long.
4: That's right. Well
5: yeah. but, but well, a it's because they made the most yeah. of the words they put right. into here, the here. story.
4: But but there's another aspect of that too, because many, many of the winners in Writers of the Future have taken their winning piece and turned it into a novel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. fact, Patrick Rothfuss's winning piece he turned into some I forget the name of the novel that um oh. na- name of the, oh, the, it the, name of the without something. a trace. Um, yeah. but, but there's I I can't speak for everybody here but as a judge, when I'm reading these, um, our philosophy in the contest is not to pick a great short story, it's to find a writer who has great potential to become a career Mm. writer. And when I see this big intricate 17,000 word thing that's clearly a piece of a larger work or somebody who wrote this really clever story that's 2,000 words long with a twist ending, In my mind, I'm thinking, I want to support the person who's got this huge, complex thing that they're going to do something with because the clever little short story might be the best and only thing this guy ever
7: writes.
4: (laughs) And I'm looking, when I'm reading the stories, there's a filter in my mind thinking, which one of these is most likely to make it as a career writer? Interesting. And just so it's underscored for you guys, that's all we know is the
3: story. We don't know the name of the author. We don't know the gender of the author. We don't know the ethnicity of the author. We don't know the national national origin Mm -hmm. of the author. We don't know the age of the author. We know nothing. This is absolutely uh, a meritocracy. We're uh, looking for nothing but great stories. And although um, our judging panel here is not reflecting, just by coincidence, the diversity of our judges, but we have uh Corfor Nidhi- Nidhi- She was a, she was and, um,
0: published in I think volume 2017 Yeah and Sean Tan Sean Tan right from uh, from Australia and Sean Williams both Sean Tan's the illustrator judge and he right. won a, he won an Oscar a few years ago yeah. for um, um, short lost things in an animated short and then Sean Williams, who's now Dr. Sean Williams, who just moved back to Australia. Yes. Yes, he's teaching now as well as writing. So with, like, like Rob was saying, we have quite a diversity of the various judges, and that's one thing that's very important to make sure that it's known that it's just across the boards, we're looking for uh, just the best in new talent and to provide that launching pad for aspiring writers and artists. And the um, just to finish what Rob was saying, it, it's free to enter. It's open only to people that are amateurs, not professional. And it, it's defined in the back of the book and also on the website. And we have a lot of other support things that we do as well. We have a, a podcast of which I'm recording this one right now. So this is going to be a podcast. Hello, panels.
3: podcast listeners. Hi, a podcast. <laughs> Hello.
0: So we'll have this. And then we'll also have um, the, um, the whole... We have the, the blog, the Rise of Future blog, and so the whole thing on this is to really make it possible for the aspiring writer and artist to, to make that break. So um, let's go with, um, if there are any questions that we've got now, we've got, um, we have a microphone. Talk
3: really loud. <laughs> no, we need you to come and use the mic, because as, as John said, this is going to be podcasted.
1: Do it in semaphore.
3: That's a microphone stand.
7: Oh,
6: there's the mic. Okay. <laughs> this is the test. Uh, I write Give sketch. Your name? Your name. Uh, my name is Kevin Patterson. Uh, I've written sketch comedy for a long time, and I'm a problem generating ideas. I found that most of my ideas are very shallow, and it's hard to expand them out longer. So, is there any tips for when brainstorming or, or prompts that would? encourage deeper uh, things?
7: Sure. When, when you have a, a, what you think is a really good idea, when that comes up, how does that change the world around it? Because, for example, when you introduce magic to, into, into a story, everything changes. Because suddenly you're able to do things that are impossible. And what, Im- what level of impossibility that begins to go outward? Uh, say suddenly everybody, no one had to do housework anymore. Well, that would sooner or later bankrupt the Procter & Gamble Corporation. But what ramifications does your idea have that will change everything around it? Mm -hmm. And who is the best person to be in that story, to be the person that answers the questions for us?
6: Theodore Sturgeon always said, the person who gets hurt is your your protagonist. Yes.
7: Mm -hmm. Right. And he also, I think he also said, uh, ask the next question. Yes. When something happens, when you come up with this wonderful innovation, what's the next thing that happens when it does occur?
3: So one of my favorite movies is Buckaroo Bonsai. And it, at the very end of the movie, one of the aliens goes, so what, big deal. That's the last line of the film. If that's all you can say about your idea, so what, big deal, you don't have an idea, ask yourself, why anybody should care, and look for some real-world parallel. Maybe you're saying something metaphorically about the climate change crisis, or metaphorically about uh, gun control, or metaphorically about anything at all. But ask yourself, who should care? If at the end, you know, a joke that's a joke is a good joke, right? But a joke that people go, ha-ha, oh, is a great joke. So you've got to ask yourself why anybody should care about this story, and keep interrogating yourself with that question. You'll find an answer, because I'm actually, you know, I'm taking a, a dig at this, or I'm undermining that, or I'm satirizing this, or making people think about something that they haven't thought about for, you know, since they were in college.
6: Thank you.
0: Good, and if you have other questions, just stand in line, get in line here so we can Gives us more chance to uh, get more questions.
3: Queue up the most useless word in the English language okay. because it's the letter Q followed by a pointless
7: lineup after it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Cue up. <laughs> it's, it's a British soft drink. <laughs>
8: uh, hi, I'm Naomi Vader, and. Vader. Yes. Wow. I married my husband because that was his last name. So why else? He's also an amazing cook, yes. and you know that's just. That just hasn't made. No. <laughs>
3: this is the husband you're looking for. Exactly. <laughs>
8: and um, so he's actually read, like, oh, man, we were at a panel earlier, and he, somebody was like, I don't know if it was one of you two, but anyway, sorry, I'm the getting too off track. The too bald here. guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he was like, "Oh, that person's book wasn't as good as the other person's book," or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but, your, your question, please. Sorry, popped off. No, no, we're anyway. seriously digressing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I apologize. And um, my fault. Go ahead. First, I want to say that the fact that um, so growing up, I went to a lot of writing classes. I went to a vocational high school, and that was my major for nine years is creative writing. Although I hate English class. Um, and all the time we had these short story contests and they were like uh, write a short story and submit it for these contests and every time my teacher's like this isn't a short story this isn't the end and i'm like but i need a short story for the contest and she's like yes you do but you have to use something else Um, so everything i write is not a short story and i i guess like when you realize that how do you stop yourself like your contest is only 17,000 words how do I make sure that I'm writing a short story and not a novel?
7: <laughs> you have one arc of action in a short story. It's it's a fairly simple goal for your protagonist to achieve or fail at. Uh, with a the novel, there could be sidelines, there could be people uh, who also have their own story arc who are involved in it. Uh, you have a much more complex, you can have a much more complex approach to your to your world, world building, introducing, characters, texture, you have very little real estate in a short story to get all of that in. I do as much world building as for a short story as I do for a novel, which is why I should probably go ahead and write them as novels, but I get to tell one story, just one tale in a short story, one, one achievement or one problem that I need to solve. So if you have more than that, you probably have begun a novel. Just, Keep coming up with ideas until you find one that you can write within that, that zone.
6: This matter of endings is very much a learned skill. Uh, we, we can't teach you, you'll have to teach yourself.
2: Yeah, that makes me ask, do you subscribe to any short story magazines?
8: I used to, I haven't in a while.
2: Okay, do you read any of the year's best science fiction anthologies?
8: No, um, so we need to pick those up then.
2: So if you <laughs> want to re- write short stories, you've got to learn from the people who are writing great short stories. Um, and I, I like the year's best anthologies. I would consider Writer's Future one of those. Um, Gardner Desois, um, though. Um, yeah, the... Um, <laughs> that was an interesting... <laughs> well, um, I don't know if those are being published anymore. Oh, no, they're not. He's yes, dead. I know, yes. that's why I said... Oh, I'm like, I, oh I I thought to... that was another editorial... trope. No. Gardner so Dizouard's Dizouard's... That I used to buy all of Gardner Desois, and I really liked them. But you can't buy those anymore. So I was trying to think of who's doing oh, those see. now. But, you know, buying the year's best anthologies is a good place to go.
1: Also, I think uh, this would be a good place for a fairly strict outline. I mean, if you outline what is a short story with developments and ending, uh, I think that would contain it. I, I don't think you'd find it bursting the boundaries and wanting to become a novel. And the short, yeah, the short story anthologies are a real good idea. Um, any yeah, best of the year collected uh, short stories of this person or that person okay. thank
3: and you. although it's by no means true that novels necessarily have large casts, they can have very small casts almost all short stories have a very small yes. cast of characters mm-hmm. if you can't tell your tale with two, three four people, it probably isn't a short story
8: thank you Okay, good. Hello, I'm Hi. Hannah
5: Azak and my question is when each of you is judging for the contest, what specifically do you tend to look for?
7: <laughs>
5: good stories. What
7: does the good. what tend That's to good. look for? So yeah, it's a really when you're good judging.
3: question. You
5: mean, uh,
7: sorry.
4: No, go
3: ahead. I
7: have, I have a, a riot going on behind me. It's very hard to hear sometimes.
4: What do you look for as a judge when you're oh, reading stories? Okay.
3: Because you can look for great characterization, and you can look for a plot that goes snick, 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 and leads to that last line. And you can look for beautiful language, all different things. One of the reasons we have a plurality of judges, rather than Dave Wolverton, who is the head judge just picking every year, is because I think we each all have individual tastes. And I must say, at this stage of my life, I'm much more interested in somebody who has written something beautiful linguistically than I am in somebody who has told a clever story. 25 years ago, I would have probably said, eh, all that flowery uh, MFA stuff doesn't interest me at all, (laughs) Uh, but uh, but a really tight, you know, wow, Twilight Zone kind of thing would have got my vote. Yes. (laughs) That's my writing. Well, he's got an MFA now. The number more one more th- effing Anderson. It's yes. right there. <laughs> uh,
2: the number one thing I look for uh, is what I call the grand skill of writing science fiction and fantasy, which, the, which is the ability to evoke setting and plot through the eyes of a character. Meaning, instead of info dumping me, you get me somebody that I am interested in who sees the world in an interesting way, and everything I'm getting drives narrative and and uh, and world building, but it's all told through the lens of the character.
1: Yeah, well, um, I think all of us uh, judges have individual, I know it, individual, I like this, I'm not so crazy about that. Um, I know for myself, a story uh, told in present tense has to be awfully damn good to get over my speed bump of prejudice. Um, Now, in fact, in the most recent judging bout, I. uh, uh, No, the more. I mean, like what's happening right now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I did um, place very highly a story that was, in fact, told in present tense, but it had to get over my prejudice. Um, every time I see present tense, I think, uh-oh. Um, but I stick with it, and if it, uh, if it happens to be really good, I think, oh, well, you know, I cut them some slack. This is a point in favor of knowing your audience. Um, your audience here are professional
2: science fiction and fantasy writers. Present tense is the standard in young adult Uh, literature. And uh, you find far more present tense than past tense in YA. That's a different audience, those editors and things like that. So kind of knowing your audience will help you.
3: I will say one more thing. Brandon, of course, best known as a fantasy writer. I'm best known as a science fiction writer. I think we both, and all of us, bend over backwards to be receptive to stuff that isn't just in our narrow wheelhouse. If a, a fantasy story blows me away, absolutely gets my first place vote.
4: Well, and and I try to approach, I think we each get eight stories when we're judging. It's been winnowed down to about eight that we read. Per quarter. Per quarter. And when I get the stack of stories, I I really just sort of tune out and go, I'm just going to read these in a random order because we don't have any author names or anything on them. We just pick them up and read them. And usually I go, oh, man, why do they always have to write 17,000-word stories? Yes, <laughs> um, that's right. So that's my, work my advice would be write really short ones, but then I almost never pick the short ones to win. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Right. Um, but I, I write in all different genres, and what we get submitted, sometimes there's some really gruesome horror, sometimes there's, there's lyrical fantasy, sometimes there's hard science fiction. And frankly, I... I I read the stack, and when I'm done with it, I'm generally pretty clear which one I liked best. And there may be completely different reasons. And we often judge the same quarters, and we're reading the stacks, and we're just like oh, wanting, wanting to like argue we, we about the story. We can't talk to each other until we, we've sent off yeah, our votes. We send off the votes, and then we go, and, okay, and then what we do? we have arm wrestlings about, you liked that one? <laughs> and, and so it's different tastes, but it really... I get this question a lot, like, well, should I write a science fiction story? Well, are you good at writing science mm. fiction stories? Um, write write a good story. And it, it can be in present tense. It can be lyrical, flowery stuff. It can be just gangbuster action that, that just sweeps me away from paragraph one all the way through to the end, and it's the fastest-paced, diehard in space that I've ever read, and it's wonderful. So... I mean, if I look back at the ones that I've picked as the number one story over the quarters, there's probably no pattern whatsoever other than that they were
1: good stories. Except, uh, except. I I think the the main thing about this as a market is that um, virtually anything is acceptable, uh, well-written. I mean, we get heroic fantasy, urban fantasy, horror, hard science fiction, soft science fiction. All of it is considered very open-mindedly.
7: We're we're incredible about that. I have to tell you that one of the things that makes a difference for me is does it hit the ground running? It doesn't have to be an action story, but I have to be hooked by you. And page one is preferable. I want to know exactly where you're going. What is it that's unique about the story that I cannot stop reading, that I need to go on with it? And if you hate uh, first-person stories, we had a second-person story. Yeah, where, yeah. The, where the narrator was addressing you. In fact,
1: that was a brilliant damn that was, story.
7: And I have to say, that was my favorite of that. Yeah. It's
5: rare, and it's really
7: it's, hard it's to a gimmick. A good one. It's a gimmick. Is, I've read two stories in uh, second person over the years, and one of them absolutely was a gimmick. It was in Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, and it was called You Done It, and the last page had six bullet holes in it. But uh, Vita Cruz's Old and Ugly was a... Fabulous story, and the fact yeah. that I can remember it, even though it was uh, previous year.
1: And I would have said, of all of all things, don't ever write a second person story, especially right. of substantial length. And she pulled it out. But it was, especially it was, for
3: she, you in the South, none of those second person plural y'all stories. We don't want any of that. We, but yeah, it was no, it was a brilliant no y'all story. damn thing.
7: We want we want second, pers- uh, second uh, person second uh, person singular, not plural. But on the whole. Catch me right away. Don't expect me to go with you on a 12-page journey before you tell me why you're telling my story. Gotcha.
6: I admit to a prejudice for science fiction over fantasy. But uh, more to the point, give me an ending. Yep. I don't oh, judge your absolutely. story until I see the ending.
5: Mm-hmm. And my prejudice is for something that kind of makes sense. Um, whether it's science fiction or fantasy... Um, i love it to look like you know what's behind the scenes, like you've really built out your world. Do not tell me the whole world in your short story because
7: you don't have the time.
5: No, you don't have the time, but imply your world and imply that it makes sense. I do have a, a preference for science fiction, but if I read fantasy, I want it to be like science fiction in that it makes sense. Um, if you've ever read a Brandon story, his magic makes you work for it. It is not just he waves his hand and it happens. There are reasons for everything. Um, so I want something that makes sense to me and of course, like Larry said, a really solid ending. Great,
7: thank you. Great, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Hi, um, my name is Marissa Stevner. Um, I had a question about outlining. Um, so, what do you do when you write out a beautiful outline and then your characters and your story don't like your outline?
3: So, science fiction in particular has had a bad rap over the years because it has all kinds of brilliant ideas and people who are unrealistic doing them. Mm-hmm. What you're butting up against is human psychology. You're reaching a point where your plot wants to do this. And no real human being, except in the movie Prometheus, directed by Ridley Scott, would ever do that thing in that situation. So you've got to make sure, and this is the truth of all fiction, is that your characters will balk, will object to being asked to do something on your page that nobody you have ever met in real life would do. And if you reach that point, the character is way more important ultimately than the plot to how people will respond to your fiction. So follow that okay. character when. No way! I'm not. That's stupid! I would never do that. Are you out of your mind? Yeah, right?
7: Yeah. I call those reality check moments. I, if if I could, if I am stopped dead by that, then I probably, you know, it's. Oh, you're going to the bottom of my pile.
2: Yeah, this is good. You have good instincts. I I 100% agree. Even as a heavy outliner, when I hit this in my stories, I step back. And I still like having an outline, but I start trying to build an outline, then revise it to what these characters would actually do and see where that takes me in the outline. Um, And usually I just start working from that outline instead.
1: Yeah, I find, uh, though I like to outline very thoroughly, uh, as I say, largely to put off actually getting to work. When I start to actually write, it's as, if now, it's as if now there are people on a stage holding scripts, walking from tape mark to tape mark, actually enacting my outline. And often when I see actual people doing it, I say, OK, this isn't working. Uh, in the outline, it looked good. But now that I see people actually enacting it and speaking the lines, I can see, no, this looks fake. We need, we need to break up the outline a bit and rewrite that. Thank you.
0: Great
7: our last question here. I find I have a tent. Oh, I'm Amanda. Um, I tend to have a problem with coming up with a really good idea that I'm very
5: excited about, but I have a hard time finding the motivation to actually sit down and do anything about it. Do you have any tips for, do you just like force yourself to sit down and work on it? or?
2: So the thing about this is uh, your individual psychology is going to influence this a great deal. Um, Basically, this is... is, Human psychology in a nutshell, how do you get yourself to do what you want to have done, right? Um, and everybody's different. Some people respond better to carrots. Some people respond better to sticks. Um, some people, my, mine is actually really interesting. When I start recording my word count every day on a spreadsheet and watching it count up, it changes, it makes me want to do it more. It's the same reason that if you play video games, you like seeing your character go up a level. Um, watching a little progress bar count upward. So for me, uh, I create a spreadsheet and say, I think this story is going to be this long. This is the percentage I'm trying to write each day. Oh, look, it's counting upward. It's going. Um, At the end of the day, it is work, though. You have to to figure out how to make yourself do the things you want to have done. Are you you
7: having a problem with maybe seeing it as too big a task? Okay, maybe sit down, with a kitchen timer, turn it to 15 minutes and write for 15 minutes. That's encompassable. Or just one page. Finish a page a day, 250 words. Just fill in the front of a piece of notebook paper. And if you can't do that, half a page until you feel confident that, yeah, you've gotten part of your idea down. And then tomorrow, you know, be thinking about it. Don't, don't force yourself. Do another half page, do another page. And before you know it, you've got quite a lot down, and then you can start to work through it. But if that idea is ex- as exciting as you say, I bet you'll keep going. But don't force yourself to, because I think you're being daunted by the task and you don't have to be. You can take it in bite-sized pieces.
3: And
4: turn off your internet connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turn off your phone.
7: Yes. Well, and
4: there's, it's also an, an attitude thing, because it, if you're just starting out, you might be thinking that you're dabbling with writing, you're, you're playing at a story, you're doing it. But if you are a writer making a living at it, or if you're this is your career, this is what you're doing, then this is your job. And you know a lot of bankers don't like their job either, but they go to work every day. And teachers might not like their job, but they go to work every day. And lawyers go to work every day, and, and surgeons. And, and everybody has to go put in their hours behind the desk or whatever it is they're doing for a job. So if you're a writer and you just don't feel like it, well, think of all the other people that don't really feel like going yeah. to their job, but they do. And, and there, there are days where I just, like, i got to get two chapters done, but I really don't want to write, but I force myself to write them. And then I go back and read the whole manuscript, and those chapters don't read any different than the other ones. Yeah,
5: And sometimes what's overwhelming for some people is um, the writing isn't perfect enough right away. And sometimes you have to turn off your internal editor and just go with the excitement of the story until you're done with it. And then you can go back and edit it until it is beautiful and polished.
2: Oh, yeah, that's great advice. I mean, when I was starting out, I had that problem a bit. I was comparing my first draft to to professional published authors' last drafts, Uh, giving yourself permission to not have to be a pro yet, giving yourself permission to just write it and enjoy that process. Um, we have a big problem with this, I think, in our society. Like particularly with the arts, um, we'll let someone go play basketball because they enjoy it, right? And no one asks them, "Well, when are you going to go play in the NBA?" But if someone starts writing a story, people are going to start yes, asking, yes. "When are you going to yes. sell it? When's it going to make you money?" Um, we look at a very take this utilitarian view on things in, in our culture. And remember, you can just write because you enjoy it, and maybe you'll go pro, maybe you won't. But just love the process and. Learning that took a lot of pressure off me as a new writer,
1: and I think it's very valuable to, uh, as uh, people have remarked, um, your first draft is is not the same thing, the same category as a a story you read in a magazine or book. Uh, I. Don't nobody anybody else. But my first drafts, when I reread what I've written today or this month, it's all. I'm always struck by how lifeless and pedestrian and leaden and stupid it is, and I have to remind myself it's first draft. It's supposed to be those things. Uh, of course, it looks like it was written by I think up your own rude category. Um, It's supposed to at this stage. Uh, It is just people uh, in street clothes holding scripts, looking at tape marks on the floor. We'll fix it up. Later, there will be scenery behind them. There will be drinks in the glasses. Um, It's It's like you start off as Tom Nax and you
3: end up with Tim Powers at the end. You go well from having put. a knack well for doing put. something to
1: actually doing it with your full superpowers as you revise. And I find um, this is probably not valuable advice, but I find um, guilt uh, is very useful. <laughs> mm. or, uh, when I'm or when shame. I'm sitting,
5: when so I'm cat- sitting cat- at
1: my line. desk, uh, I think uh, Aldous Budras said once that most writers would rather do anything than write today. You think, I just? I, there's a paperback book on the floor. I, I, I remember that was really good. I'd rather read that. Everybody would really rather do anything uh, than write. Um, so what I find useful, people like Asimov loved to do writing above all else. You know, you wanna go to Disneyland or you wanna write? He'd say, I wanna write. Um, most of us aren't that way. Uh, So I find it useful to look out the window and see a UPS truck drive by and tell myself, he has a job. What are you doing? Mm
7: -hmm. What right
1: do you have to use oxygen that somebody else could use?
7: I have a quote here from Octavia Butler, one of our greatest writers. You don't start out writing good stuff. You start out writing crap and thinking it's good stuff. And then gradually you get better at it. That's why I say one of the most valuable traits is persistence. It's just so easy to give up don't give up. Just put it down, work it over later, you know, but don't lose those ideas. The, the most vital thing is if it, when it's fresh in your mind, get down as much as you possibly can on paper and then work, work on it, work through it. When you feel confident about it, when you don't feel confident about it, go back and look at it and you'll say, wow, that's better than I thought it was. So feel confident in trying.
0: Thank Great, you. good luck. Thank you very much for attending. I'd also like to recommend everybody this is the, the current volume of Writers of the Future. It was the contest that was started in 1983 by Owen Hubbard, and the purpose is to provide that helping hand for the aspiring writer and artist. Do enter the contest, it's open for everybody. Thank you very much, and thank you very much, panelists.